Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Hey everyone, uh, this is Carlos again with Evolve for another episode for the e-commerce growth show. Uh, we're joined by uh, Scott Emans and we have the honor today to, uh, to be joined by Brian Solis. So Scott, uh, please, you can introduce Brian and we get to it. All right. Thank you so much, Carlos. Uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're very lucky uh, to uh, have Brian join us today and spend a little time with us. You know, uh, and, and Brian's a guest, you know, whose bio alone could consume the entire episode. So uh, uh, his, his latest gig is a, a global innovation evangelist at Salesforce. Uh, you know, which we, we, we probably ought to talk a little bit about uh, today, about what that means and, and what's going on uh, in that role. It's a, it's, it it's a, looks amazing to me. Um, and, you know, Brian has been called, here's some quotes, one of the more creative and brilliant minds of our time, one of the greatest dig digital analysts of our time, a top futurist speaker, one of the 21st century's business world's leading thinkers, uh, and it goes on and on. So basically a rock star. And I know how much you love folks going through your bio, uh, 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 Brian. Uh, but wait, there's more. Uh, because Brian's also an eight-time you know, uh, 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 book author. Uh, uh, he is His latest uh, book, Lifescale, uh, uh, which I've read. Um, how to live a more creative and productive and happy life. And uh, so we want to talk about some of the concepts uh, Brian uh, uh, talks about in that book uh, today as well. Um, and, and we, of course, invited Brian uh, today to, to speak uh, about how all dark matter in the universe could be primordial black holes, actually. So uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Brian, uh, for coming and talking on this you know, really deep science topic with us today. Yeah, I stayed up all night doing my homework, getting ready for it, Scott. It's always a pleasure <laughs> to see you. Uh... <laughs> all right, so I'm kidding about the topic. Um, uh, uh, so uh, uh, an impressive uh, resume uh, uh, for sure, uh, Brian. Uh, what we actually would like to talk with you today about is about innovation, uh, about digital, uh, about uh, uh, humanity and empathy and, and all sorts of things that you've uh, uh, been evangelizing, you know, for some time now, uh, uh, and, and, and in a very uh, interesting way. So, you know, I'll start off, you know, just on a personal note. Uh, hopefully, uh, you had a nice holiday. Uh, all good on your end? Yeah, it was nice. Uh, it, we're we're out here in Lake Tahoe, uh, where we've been sheltering in place since since the beginning of the pandemic, and so it's uh, we had a white Christmas. It was nice, you know, wow. it, tight family only uh staying safe but uh you know when when it comes to christmas time it's really about your family your loved ones and uh spending time together anyway i just uh i kind of wish that i could see my parents I haven't seen them since, since last thanksgiving actually so uh, uh but i'm thankful for the the blessings we have how about you scott you know it's been yeah. a while man you're looking good thank you much yeah sheltered in place uh in dallas which uh where we almost never have a white christmas including this year but uh, I uh, compensated by covering, you know, my home and Christmas lights inside and out, uh, <laughs> you know, to give it that Christmassy feel. Same, you know, it was a, you know, a, a you know, my household of three and uh, my, my daughter and her fiance came and we, we oh, hung nice. out on the back porch, you know, socially distanced and, you know, had a, a, a nice visit and a safe visit. So uh, uh, 
uh, it was nice to you know at least get to see them uh, uh, for a little bit uh, for Christmas. So, I you know I think uh, you know when you and I first crossed paths, uh, Brian was like at a brand innovators event in Las Vegas. That's the first time we probably crossed paths, you know, in person. Uh, which, by the way, that was uh, that event. You know, I, I was a little bit of a fish out of water because you know, I, essentially, here I was this technologist that was you know in a you know a big room full of marketers. Uh, you know, is, is what that event was about. It was it was very interesting for me. And, and then the last time you and I saw each other in person was at the Innovation Mansion at South by Southwest, uh, where oh, yes. you gave a little talk and you were promoting the LifeScale book uh, uh, and the concepts uh, uh, at that time. So when I'm thinking, uh, 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 you know, about Brian Solis, uh, let's let's start with this this role at uh, at Salesforce. Uh, What's, what's, what are you doing there? What's, what's it been like? Uh, you know, it's a, that's a, that's a pretty impressive, uh, organization. So love to hear what leading, uh, innovation at a, a company like Salesforce, what that involves. Well, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I have a really unique role at a very special company. Uh, so I have, you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing a lot of folks at Salesforce for basically my whole career. Uh, and I've joined a real special group within the special company uh, that is part of the analyst relations team, competitive intelligence. And then my role uh, along uh, with some of my colleagues is to champion uh, the stories uh, of innovation and especially in these times, uh, but also to explore opportunities for innovation. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're all here in a, in a global pandemic, uh, and you suddenly have seen companies thrust into uh, a digital imperative that has been, you know, an, an, overnight, <laughs> an overnight necessity 20 years in the making. But, you know, when you literally shut down the world overnight and you have to build for example, working from home infrastructure, you have to build uh, digital commerce, you have to build curbside or BOPIS uh, infrastructure, you know, that, that starts to seem like innovation. And in many ways, it is for some of these companies. Mm -hmm. But now you, you have sort of digital at parity. Uh, and you, we have a vaccine that's on the horizon. And we're going to come out of what I call the novel economy here in a, in a stage where you can kind of go on this new path of this digital imperative where you are reacting to how the world is bestowed upon you this gift of a pandemic uh, or you can start to think about well if everybody's doing this what can I do now that I've demonstrated that I can react this way to start to change the trajectory uh, and break the mold uh, moving out of this hopefully this 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 shutdown into a, an economy that's going to help us be more innovative more progressive and more experimental and so that in that role then I help companies explore what those opportunities are, and then look to help companies both internally and externally, still as an evangelist, sharing all these ideas with everybody uh, to help executives think differently about what those business models can be inside and out uh, moving forward. So that's, that's the role. And then, you know, I get to do a lot of fun research, a lot of fun experimentation, and then a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking, Scott, you know, and it's something that you and I have talked about over the years. So you, you too have helped sort of build a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of cool, a lot of cool technology infrastructure for like Lehman Marcus. And then, you know, with, uh, with Liz, uh, you know, following that and, and then, you know, you know how hard it is to get people to change. And that's really at the heart of this, so, you know, where, where, when we get innovation and evangelism, 
it's not just about what you can do, it's how you get people to do it. Uh, that really is the, uh, the magic. So if, even without, you know, kind of the, the, the disruption uh, that the pandemic's bought, right? You know, if, if you think about, you know, when, uh, you know, back in 2017, you know, uh, you know at, at, when I was at Brand Innovators, as an example, uh, uh, innovation then, you know, there, it was, there was a lot of talk about innovation labs, right? And uh, you had uh, companies doing these sort of uh, uh, big uh, profile innovation programs. Uh, you know, that had a, you know, had a very public facing part uh, uh, to them as an example. Um, you know, I think you, you said some kind words about the, at the time about the work I had done at Neiman's, uh, uh, you know, including, uh, you know, you know, being a model for innovation and experimentation as an example. Well, you know, that's that, that, that all, even before we got to uh, 2020, right, that stuff had all disappeared. Uh, and not, you know, not just at Neiman Marcus, right? You know, it was, you know, kind of, it felt like across the board, you saw a lot of those uh, uh, programs that were going strong and, you know, 2013, 14, 15, you know, th those kind of timeframes sort of morph into something else. So, so especially, you know, when you're thinking about smaller enterprises, you know, folks that, you know, are, are enterprises that might not have a, you know, Salesforce uh, kind of set of resources. What's, what's the, what's the right approach today? What are, what are folks, you know, what are they doing that's, that's the right way to go about it uh, when we think about, you know, innovation? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you, this is one of the things I really appreciate about the role I have today, right? Is I work for one of the most innovative technology companies in the world. And my job is not to sell or even most of the time talk about technology. It really is to take an outside-in approach, which is to look at, I mean, if it's one thing that I, that, uh, I could appreciate about this pandemic is that it's allowed us to really see how the world is changing in real time. Uh, and it's that, it's that lens, it's through that lens that we can see, for example, where a lot of the problems were with yesterday's you know, normal, uh, which is why I refuse to adopt a new normal or a next normal. I mean, this really is a control-alt-delete moment. It's a once-in-a-lifetime, I hope, opportunity to see all of the things that we couldn't see before in order to move differently and create the future that we really want to see. Uh, and with retail, uh, with hospitality, with travel, you know, we've seen the, just the front lines of complete disruption uh, over the last several months. And we also saw where, for example, those innovation labs or those innovation investments or digital transformation in general uh, kind of missed out on opportunities, right? There's no, you and I were brand innovators, but you and I have also been in, in on the front lines of innovation for many years. You know, it's no, there's no shortage of amazing technology to go do great things. It's the why, it's the purpose, and then it's the ROI of how we turn those things into business models that are going to help us grow. And what we've seen too many times is that technology was used as the solution, uh, but not really understanding, for example, when you have a pandemic and people can't shop the way that they used to shop, you know, are how, how, how amazing our magic mirror is going to transform your business now, right? Now we have to look at what I call generation N or generation novel, where you have, you have all of this, this digital first behavior, 
right? That now has to be truly digital first beyond all of the kids with smartphones, right? Or, 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 or anybody who's, who uses Uber or, or DoorDash or Postmates or what have you, right? Everybody had to become digital first because of shelter in place or because of fear or because of anxiety or whatever it is, you know, no one wanted to get sick. And so you have not only people shopping or experimenting with curbside or BOPIS now, you have sort of this mindset of, well, that's convenient, uh, that's fast, uh, and you essentially give the gift to any retailer or any business data, which is saying, these are the things that I prefer, these are the things that I don't like, uh, these are the traits or these are the, these are the characteristics that you can learn from uh, in order to build a better service and not just create digital touch points, but to create a better service because you're getting to know me, create a better experience. And so really, what I see or what I hope for is that right now, this generation and this novel economy where people are not only becoming digital first, but they're also re-examining everything in their lives, right? Things that they're telling companies that are more important to them, like play a better, play a more important role in society. Make me trust you or help me trust you more. Let me see how you're treating employees and customers during these times. You start to get really human really fast in this digital first economy. And so those insights, I think, are helping us understand what we've been trying to make sense of the last decade, right? Personalization, real time, mobile first, app economy. Now we can actually humanize all this stuff to build a better customer journey, a better experience, a better relationship uh, platform with cu customers that are changing right before our eyes. And that I think gives us that purpose that we've maybe overlooked for a long time. Um, well, so yeah, there's a really a ton of, of, of good points uh, in there. I know, uh, uh, Carlos, you uh, uh, you know wanted to jump in on uh, the novel yeah. economy. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Um, it's more about, I, I listened to some of your podcasts, uh, Brian, where um, I think in one of them, I don't remember if it was the one for Salesforce, but you said that you started your career speaking a lot for the C-suite, right? Uh, for the C, for the C-level. And when it comes to the digital economy and, you know, digital natives, I am uh, a millennial from 85 myself. And I see that, um, I've had one experience, I'm an entrepreneur, but I've had one experience working for a large company. And sometimes, I'm sorry the word, but there's a lot of dinosaurs there, right? And, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then uh, the, the question I have is more like, who are you talking today? Because there are a lot of millennials um, like taking, you know, the C, uh, the C level today, becoming, becoming um, you know, the directors or whatever. And, and these are maybe the digital natives, right? And, and people like, then you have Gen Xers or yeah, or Gen Ys, uh, whatever you call, yeah, younger people than, than, than myself. So are you talking more to this generation to, you know, um, to have them uh, implement technologies in their company so they can also, because they, they, maybe they get things faster and I'm not saying we're better than anyone. It's just like, um, don't know if my question makes sense, you know? It does, Carlos. Well, <clears throat> Scott and I are just a little bit older than you, uh, barely. Uh, <laughs> and we have, you know, one thing that I want to point out is that age, age has nothing to do uh, with innovation, right? It's a mm -hmm. mindset. Uh, because I can tell you, I, I certainly have, have worked with, with, let's just say, multi-generations where, where people are stuck in whatever environment, 
right. has raised them. Uh, and the challenge that we have, whether you're a digital native or you're a uh, digital, uh, what would you call it? I guess immigrant. <laughs> uh, it's really about what your intent is mm -hmm. uh, and also your experience of who you are, where you came from, but also where you're trying to go. Mm -hmm. And so I still do try to talk to the C-suite because uh, whatever age they are, they're the ones making the decisions. I'm also going after the boards of directors and also mm -hmm. shareholders, people who are responsible for the decisions that are often met. And I know Scott can appreciate this, that are often met for short term, uh, you know, quarter to quarter performance, you know, shareholder value, stakeholder value, whatever that is. Uh, but here's one of the reasons why I really double down on exclusive research in the last year on what I called the novel economy. So I shelved all my research in March to just focus. I just, cause as a digital anthropologist, I should probably say that, Hey everybody, I'm also a digital anthropologist. And what yeah. that means is I study how people uh, are changed by technology and how that plays out over time in behaviors, decisions, but also at core values, beliefs, and norms. Uh, and those cultural rituals that help me make sense then of where trends are going so that when we make in big investments in not just technology, but also change and change management uh, in leadership, it, it is because we have a trajectory that's going to make sense, that we are trying to align with something bigger than ourselves. And so to answer your question uh, in that regard was that in this pandemic specifically, I watched a cross-generational group of people form, which was based on, if you've if anybody's followed my work over the years of what I've talked about, digital Darwinism, mm -hmm. which was based on this Generation C concept where C stood for connected. It was basically whether you're a millennial centennial, whether you're a mature boomer Gen X, if you led a digital first lifestyle, meaning you took Ubers, you use Facebook, Instagram, you had your food delivered every now and then. Like me, I had gasoline delivered to my house uh, through an app called uh, uh, Filled. Uh, you, you you really start to uh, you really start to see the conveniences of life where you're you you become the center of your own universe uh, and you communicate through that that little screen uh, basically for everything. And what I had shown over the last 20 years is that uh, with the dawn of the 90s, right, with Internet 1.0 and then Amazon in 96 and then the, the iPhone in 2006 and Facebook, Instagram and the app economy and all of those things that started to push people forward in new directions. It, it was essentially the reason why e-commerce had been uh, on, an, on an upswing over the years. But I think as Scott could appreciate, nobody really took it as urgently as they needed, right? It wasn't just because a 45-year-old and a 25-year-old were using smartphones. It was because they were physically, emotionally, and intellectually changing, right? Mm -hmm. Their standards for excellence were different. Their standards for great experiences were different. What, how they wanted to do business was different. How they researched, how they went through the discovery process was different. Uh, and then ultimately what they valued in terms of relationships was, was different. Uh, and then... <clears throat> you bring this global pandemic and you have now everybody having to become digital first, right? So again, cross-generational, it's not just 25-year-olds who are shopping for food uh, using an app. Everybody has to do that right now. And when you do that, you become this, uh, I lovingly referred to as accidental narcissists, you know, basically somebody who knows what they want and can get it. And that is that standard. And if businesses are not rising to that standard, then they become a dinosaur 
obsolete, not because of age, but because of the experience that they provide or don't provide to people. And now you add to that the, the somatic marker that is COVID-19, which is a deep, visceral, emotional, psychological bookmark within us that uh, is going to forever change how we value things, life, right? If, in fact, if you, if you look at some of the biggest changes in the last several months, uh, how people spend money, how they don't, what they value in life, what they, how they define success. So much of this is different. No one's going to really, I mean, I don't know how it is for you, Carlos, but over here, you know, we're not going to look at a roll of toilet paper the same way ever again, uh, especially an empty one. Uh, In (laughs) fact, uh, in fact, so many of my friends are uh, buying bidets, you know, because they they realize that the supply chain for toilet paper. It's a good plan B, right? It's a good plan B but for bidet. Nice one, Scott. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, uh, but the, uh, the the truth of the matter is this is a long-winded way of just saying that society as a whole is really changing. And now you're starting to see this society split, especially in the United States where you have uh, – we have politics uh, playing into that somatic marker and enriching that visceral, emotional response to all of this stuff. Uh, you have people who are angry and confused and anxious and fearful. Uh, and so what you have, though, is this now real. Here's the silver lining and all you have this real opportunity to understand how people are different than all of the assumptions that you've had over the last couple of decades of business models that you've been trying to pursue. Right. We saw, according to McKinsey, 10 years of e-commerce acceleration in 90 days. You have all around the world uh, in the U.S., but this number is high all around the world. Seventy five percent of customers of every age have experimented with a new brand retailer or service in this this economy, in, in this novel economy. And 60% have said they're going to stick with these new brands and services and retailers. So now you have loyalty up for grabs. You have another wave of disruption beyond a pandemic about to hit businesses all around the world. And this is that opportunity to not just respond, but to grow in a new, tra- in a new trajectory to be relevant for a consumer gen n that's being born right before us right now mm-hmm. fantastic yeah. so, so so first of all uh you, you pretty much in that one response covered just about every question i was going to ask you brian so amazing <laughs> uh, i was like stop him stop him before there's nothing left to talk about no, i'm just I'm, uh, I'm teasing of course uh so completely agree you know uh with all of that. And, you know, I'm definitely one of those uh, consumers that have, have tried something new and I'm not going back. Right. I'm, I'm not going to retreat from curbside pickup of my groceries. It's just not going to happen. It's just too good uh, right. uh, to go. And it even, you know, caused me to change brands, right. In terms of what grocery I used based on how good the, the, the experience was, right. Which I won't name names, but uh, you know, the one I'd used for years was not nearly as good as the one I use now. And so I'll stick with the, you know, with the new guys that are better at it. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, one of the things uh, you said, uh, you talked about in the beginning of that uh, answer, uh, uh, you know, I heard the, the ROI piece uh, pop up. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you and I did an interview together on another uh, podcast called CXO Talk. And, you uh, 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 we, we were talking about, uh, I was talking about how ROI, you know, was often used as a club to kill innovation. 
Uh, and you uh, coined the phrase uh, 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 ROI meant return on ignorance uh, <laughs> at that point, which I, you know, I loved and have repeated often uh, with proper attribution uh, uh, since then. So, uh, you know, how's the, uh, you know, in light of all this new circumstances, uh, uh, is the, uh, you know, is that ROI as a club mentality? You think that's, that's you know, dissipated? Uh, are, are, yeah. are, are enterprises more uh, willing to go out and take a chance? I think they have to be. Uh, you know, it, it, this is why culture or organizational culture has to become more important in, in this conversation regarding innovation, right? The whole, the whole premise of ROI uh, and, 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 of course, the, uh, the play on it for return on ignorance was really about opportunity cost, right? If, if, if we do not do something, what is that due to our shorter and mostly longer term impact? Uh, because we're so caught up in this sort of short term mentality. Uh, whereas <clears throat> people, people are changing now faster than ever. And what they want and what they value is not in alignment with what we think they value, which is and, why and the, this- the brands are barely keeping up at before, before they started changing faster than ever. Just, just to yeah. Yeah, well, I think to that point, it's the same. It's the same challenge they've always had is because they couldn't see the change. They projected themselves onto the markets, right? So they put their this. This I'll just kind of quickly explain this. This what I call an experience divide, <clears throat> which is we have decision makers, right? So the club of the things that we have to make decisions about, right? Uh, everything from profitability to uh, to employee welfare to um, uh, you name it, just like the construct of a traditional business are all the things of which then the hierarchy of that business is designed to make decisions around for the best, the, the best interests of stakeholders and then the best interests of whatever the halo is at the top of the organization, whether that's shareholders and the board or what have you. Uh, but all that's fine and good. And over here you have, <clears throat> especially now in this novel economy, you have, the markets and how it's changing and people within that market and what they value and why and how they make decisions and, and, and why they're making those decisions. And so over time, over the last 20 years, if you, if you've seen Scott, you know, that, that experience divide was like building cracks, right? People were changing businesses weren't, and they try to do these little things like, oh, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's have some e-commerce. Let's have some cool things within the store. Let's do whatever to try to keep, at least whatever fibers they could staying connected to the, to, to the market. But over time, as they got to experience new things, new services, new apps, that started to move more and more and more. And we started to see that disruption because in, in between is that experience divide, but it's also an Achilles heel, right? It is your vulnerability, right? And so a lot of startups, a lot of competitors would look right there and say, okay, well, what do they value and what are they not getting? And this is why entrepreneurs and investors would zoom right there because it was an opportunity. Hence the ROI, right? It was also an opportunity cost if you weren't doing the same things. Now what we saw was that in the last year, this just start to go. And now the same decision makers over here cannot any way in any way continue to make the same types of decisions or employ the same types of ignorance that they were before, because now this is moving further and further away. And what happens is when you're on this side and you're looking that way, 
which is where we miss everything. When you're looking back this way, you start to see obsolescence. You start to say that experience is old. That experience sucks. Oh, I have choices now, which is why we're starting to see so many new experimentations. And they're building bridges in their own way for their best interest. So if you're not intentionally trying to do that, then you're going to miss out. And unfortunately, that is where digital Darwinism has come into play. We've ignored this sense of urgency for a really long time. There is no more runway to ignore it. And we have to now start thinking like the customers that we want to reach and not like the executives we have, you know, look, really been proud of for the last several years or decades where we've earned our positions of where we are. Now we have to almost, we almost have to re-earn everything to be relevant because the world is changing and that's the hard part. And look, we see that it's not just in business, it's in life. Uh, you know, you have people holding on to what they know and you have people changing. And rather than understand why that change is happening, we project ourselves onto them saying, you're doing, you're doing things differently than I'm doing them. And therefore I'm going to dig in deeper here. And that's, you know, that's why innovation is totally a personal decision. It's a personal, it's a personal transformation. It's, it, and that's what makes it so hard is because you're essentially telling yourself, I have to change. I have to be different. Uh, and the, your, your source of inspiration is right there. And, and um, what's the, I mean, of, it's obvious, like, but the role of culture in all of this, because you, you spoke about short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. I think you're speaking a lot about uh, culture. I'm very closely uh, really connected with the, with the folks from the conscious capitalism movement in Brazil. And we see that there are more companies um, trying to become like conscious companies, not, you know, just in the a uh, weak sense of the word, but really like the, there's like a framework. Uh, I think you you know, Mr. Um, Raj Sisodia in the, um, there in the US, he did a, an amazing study about the whole food market and how they, they've done it. Don't know if it's changed after Amazon acquired them, uh, but they didn't have to invest so much in marketing because they are investing in the community and, and that kind of stuff. So the, the, the question, and I heard you speaking in one of your podcasts about that culture is the strategy, right? It's not that culture uh, eats you for breakfast, but culture oh, is yeah. the strategy. And so, and so that, that is fantastic. But, you know, I think in your, in your, in your role, can you teach culture? Because I think it's a big part of your role, at least discuss that, right? With, with uh, the folks that you're uh, talking to and, can, you know. I think culture, culture is, is, is something that, Look, if you look at, let me, I'm going to take a step back because I want to back people into the answer to this question. Uh, so there's, a, there's a saying that you brought up for everybody. You've probably heard it. I think it's attributed to Peter Drucker, which is culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, and the problem with that statement is that culture is the strategy. Culture is why you do things. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we tend to think about when it comes to culture is mission statement, vision statement, you know, our, our team offsite, you know, that, but that, those are the acts of culture. Uh, at Salesforce, uh, one of the reasons why I joined the company is because Mark Benioff, he promotes stakeholder capitalism, which is really about the why of business to make a better impact 
in society and the world, right? So not just existing for profit. You know, the idea is that profit becomes a, a byproduct of doing the right things for people, uh, for places and things. We have this one, one, one uh, philosophy where, you know, we give 1% of technology, 1% of profit and 1% of time, our own time uh, to make an impact on the world. Uh, that's, that's culture, right? We have, we call our, we call our family at Salesforce, our Ohana, which means uh, a family uh, in Hawaiian. And what we do every single day, uh, especially during this pandemic, when we have these internal sessions that Mark actually leads with other executives at the company for employees, where we're talking about what's happening outside and what we can do to make an impact outside of, you know, Salesforce and understanding what, you know, if you've, if you've seen what he's done with PPE all around the world and sourcing that and, and helping the front lines, right? That that's culture. That's, that's leadership and helping people understand, look, there's this, this, this North star, this is why we exist and why we work together and where we're trying to go together. And every day we communicate, how are we doing together? What's the role you're playing in how we're doing this together, right? And so people feel empowered to move towards this North star. That has to be done intentionally. So for example, uh, you might've heard me talk about Gaping Void and, and uh, Jason Corman, who's the CEO of Gaping Void. They're a culture design company uh, out of Miami, Florida. And I've had the, the opportunity to work with them and do research over the years of how do you design a culture? And it can, it can be done. It's actually a thing called culture science that they've created, uh, where you go through these, you go through this work of designing what that culture is supposed to be, and then doing the things every single day that bring that culture to life, but not just doing, it's how you communicate. It's the visuals that you have around. Uh, it, so all of this stuff, this is why culture is a strategy. It has to start there. You can't just, and, and Scott, I know you've seen this. This is why so many innovation centers fail is because there is no culture of innovation where people feel like, hey, one, you're empowered to take risks. Two, if you, if you make a mistake, what'd you learn from it? And let's move on. Instead, we look at mistakes as being a, a source of failure. Nobody wants to do that. And then lastly, the biggest thing of why innovation is so hard is because every aspect of our life, in business, at home, at school, in church, you follow rules. You are given these rules. These are our comfort zone when we talk about that proverbial comfort zone or the proverbial box. These are, this is our box. And when we're asked to step outside of that box and think differently, we haven't changed anything. We haven't changed the rules. In fact, the rules still persevere over here. If you make a mistake, if you don't follow the rules, you know, that, that prevents true creativity, true innovation. And when you get to honest to goodness innovation, innovation's asking you to do one of two things. Bend the rules, break the rules, or maybe the three things, create new rules, right? That goes against everything else that you've been taught in life. And it's what makes it so hard, which is why culture is so important to help people feel like we can leave that behind. We're going to go in this direction. And in fact, you're going to feel motivated, incentivized to go in this new direction. You're going to feel like you're being paid to take chances or to try new things or to have new ideas or to learn or unlearn uh, things that are going to help you grow in a new direction. That is culture. And that every organization right now has to prioritize culture in addition to technology in order to be truly not just innovative, but just relevant. 
Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, in, in, the, in my previous role, right, it, it wasn't just technology, it was, it was, it was creativity, and it was culture, and it was, it was this, you know, sort of, uh, you had to mix those things together, right, right, to, uh, to come up with something that was, uh, you know, really uh, a game changer. Um, you know, I think, uh, 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 let's, 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 let's talk about uh, you know, some of the things that led up to, you know, the life scale uh, book and the, some of the concepts you talked about there. Uh, you know, and I, so I'd go back to say 2007 or so when the iPhone was introduced, right? You know, that was, that was a, a game changing thing for me. Uh, uh, you know, in um, my career, you know, I was, uh, you know, doing kind of business intelligence and, and doing enterprise architecture and stuff like that, uh, you know, back uh, when that launched. And, you know, now all of a sudden, all our customers were connected all the time, right? You know, uh, uh, you know as, as the smartphone phenomena took off. Uh, and uh, uh, here we were trying to, uh, you know, know the customer and, and deliver uh, you know, the right thing at the right time for the customer. And they knew way more than us, right? We didn't have any infrastructure uh, that could, uh, we were outgunned uh, uh, at the time. Uh, and so, it, and, and so it, from a, you know, from an enterprise point of view, we, you know, we had that problem, but then you also have this, uh, you know, being always connected, the whole social media explosion, right? And, uh, you know, uh, my always connected consumers also all talking to each other across these social media platforms. You want to jump in uh, on that, Brian? Yeah, well, look, for better or for worse, uh, you know, we were, we were connected, we were always on, uh, and that didn't come with an instruction manual. Uh, no. And if anybody... It went, awry, looked, and, and, and went awry in some ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in many in many ways uh I'll, I'll try to be as condensed as possible because this could be its own its own Absolutely. show uh, if you've watched the social dilemma on netflix you essentially see what what has happened uh over the, going back to social let's just say the dot of social is probably along the same time as the iphone right uh and you know, Facebook, I think, what opened when pub, open to the public in 2006. You had Twitter around that time. Uh, social that's, networks that's were really all... not that long ago, if you think about it, but it feels like it's been around our whole lives. It, it, exactly. Uh, and a lot of that is by design. Uh, so you have essentially a lot of practices that went into play uh, that went into, for example, gambling uh, technology and casinos, uh, gaming. Uh, it's called persuasive design, uh, social engineering. It's designed to change you. Uh, so, for example, if you think about before Facebook, the idea of putting your pictures of, of, of your family on the Internet was probably something you would never do. And now now you feel like you're not living if you're not sharing all of that stuff. Uh, and so those those techniques that went into these apps were designed to change our behaviors. Uh, to essentially do more, share more, be online more, communicate more, uh, engage more, respond more. And the more that they changed us, uh, right, with every new app, Snapchat, now you have to communicate through a firm role uh, and, uh, co uh, conversations. And then you have TikTok, and now you have to learn every single new challenge that's out there. Uh, you, you've, you continue to change from your center, your, 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 let's say before all this stuff, your center of reference. Now you do this, now you do this, now you do this, but you never really had time to acknowledge to yourself that these were the decisions you were intentionally making. So your core 
uh, your core values had to try to keep up with you as you were making these decisions. Uh, and this is why I said it didn't come with an instruction manual. Same is true for the designers of these applications. They, they knew what they were doing in terms of incentivizing us or encouraging us to embrace and adopt these new technologies. But once they had this, they had to keep our attentions and keep us using these apps and services. So they had to keep changing the game and finding new ways. For example, one of the, the first examples of that was the like, the like button, right? Uh, and what they didn't necessarily study beyond that was, well, what is the effect of that on your, on you? If you, feel like you have to continue to keep up with this stuff, but also to get the type of reaction back from people so you feel incentivized to share more. They really didn't study, and if they did, it, it would be purely evil for not releasing this information before. But what happens to you? Uh, and it turns out that what happens to you is pretty intense. Uh, you essentially become addicted to a lot of stuff uh, in micro dosages. Uh, so you, you, there's six different chemicals that you get when, for example, you see a like or a follow or some type of reaction to a post. And you, your body uh, becomes dependent on it. So you share more, you do more. Uh, and the same is true cross-platform. You like the attention, you seek the attention. And all of this is happening without a doctor or without a mentor saying, hey, this is what's happening to you. Uh, be mindful of how this plays out so that we can sort of take control of it in our own way. And personally, it hit me uh, several years ago when uh, I realized that I just could not dive deep the way I used to in terms of creativity, in terms of research and analytics or critical thinking, because I was just so used to moving in a million ways, right? Every notification I'd respond to every email, I'd have a bunch of tabs open and can, you know, basically convincing myself that I was multitasking and keeping up with everything which I was doing. But when it came time to write my next book, I struggled to get to the depth of you know, how I was going to be one creative, but also to like unlock this whole topic that I wanted to talk about in terms of this transition between personal innovation to, to corporate innovation or to global innovation or governmental in innovation. And I couldn't, couldn't get my arms around it. And so I really started to study like, what were my behaviors and my routines every single day? And I, I got to this point, like, zeroing in on my relationship with social media and smartphones and apps and all of that stuff. And, uh, started to then reverse engineer. Luckily I had, uh, you know, coming from Silicon Valley, a lot of access to, for example, a lot of people that were in social dilemma uh, to kind of get into doing my own research as to how did this happen? And then what were the effects? And so I did a lot of research with neuroscientists, with uh, psychologists, with uh, my goodness, just, just took two years of research uh, to kind of figure out all of this stuff that was happening. And then I presented on it in South by Southwest in, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the year before the, la this last year. So 2017, I think it was. Yeah. It also, do you talk about it in 29? Uh, I think it was 2019, maybe it was 2018. <laughs> Let's go back and look now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it seems like forever ago now with this pandemic, but, uh, I also did research because the same things are true for, uh, I was also doing research as to, Oh, oh yeah, I, I do not. I, it was 2017 because a lot of, a lot of the impetus was also the 2016 election, uh, where I was doing research as to why people were being so convinced that uh, that conspiracy theories or 
what was clearly false information was true in, in their like minds. This, this is all still really relevant. Yeah, it's, it is. <laughs> and it's a lot of the same, it's a lot of the same types of things that go in, in into that, that trigger uh, in, internal responses. And so I presented on all this research, like, ha, ah, look, look what I found. Look what's happening. This is, uh, this, this is why we're here. Why we we're so, why we multitask, why we're becoming more and more superficial, why we feel like we don't matter unless we're doing these things. And somebody at the end of the presentation came up and said, wow, I had no idea. You blew my mind. This is really like now my mind, my eyes are open to all this. I can't unsee it. How do we fix it? Uh, and they said, well, I didn't get, I didn't get that far yet. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, but I have a personal reason that I need to fix it too, uh, because I couldn't get that book out. Uh, and that's what became life scale, which was, uh, turns out that the solution to a lot of this is taking control. And, and, and look, there's been a lot of conversations about this since the social dilemma. Uh, the answer isn't, I mean, it can be, if you want to just turn off your phone or to get rid of it. Uh, or, and to distance yourself from technology, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to understand how do I be better with technology, but be in control moving forward. So be I'm not going backwards. I want to go forward. Uh, but how do I do that? And how do I take control? And it turns out that the whole, the whole book was researching how, how to, how to do it. Uh, Cause it wasn't actually a real solution and how to move that in that very, direction. Very prescriptive the book, right? It's, uh, uh, it's, 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 you know, almost a 12 step program. <laughs> it, well, it, it actually, actually, actually it is, you know, I, I, I found, I found a lot of, uh, a lot of inspiration, but also a lot of science behind why a 12 step program works, but also how to, how to, how to move it right in a, in a traditional 12 step program, you're, you're, you're breaking from an addiction, uh, and trying to get yourself to a desirable state. And in not unlike that here, you know, I'm trying to get to a desirable state of a relationship with technology so that I can be better, more creative, happier, more productive, whatever that is. And the book, as you said, is prescriptive because you have to define for you which way you want to go. Hence the life scaling, right? Where do you want to be and how are you going to scale your life uh, in, in that direction? And the same is actually true for innovation. The same is true for creativity. Uh, it's actually a book of, of, breaking distractions and and actually making them work for you but you're also uh you're also rewiring your brain and your body uh away from the destructive side of social media and technology in a way that's actually more productive and positive for you because that, that i think that's what i'm maybe what i overlooked in in the previous um previous part of the answer to this question is that what had happened to us over the last 15 years is that we did get rewired. We got rewired for distractions. We got rewired for jumping, you know, from thing to thing to thing. Uh, we got wired into thinking that we only matter when we're doing X, Y, and Z, uh, that when we get these types of responses, it, 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 it's why and how we matter to what extent. Uh, and we sort of created a social economy that isn't, uh, that isn't good for, isn't good for us. And as you can see too, going back to the conversation with like conspiracy theories and fake news and how we're creating tribes around a lot of this stuff, uh, just as, a, as, as human nature, we're not, we're actually not getting any better or getting worse. And so, uh, it feels that way. 
it feels yeah. that way. So let me let me bring all that into uh, uh, into the context of you know the current situation, right? You know, so you know when I uh, when you were talking about the book back when I listened to it at the Innovation Manage uh, or listening to you speak at the Innovation Mansion, you said the real problem, you know, is uh, you know we're placing greater emphasis on what happens on the screen and not in the moment, right? Uh, uh, now think about now, uh, you know, for a lot of us, the screen is the moment. That's all we have. Uh, 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 you know, I've, I've been in, you know, this office, uh, you know, with the exception of Santa, you know, kind of joining me, you know, briefly for the holidays, uh, you know, unchanged since the, you know, February, uh, 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 as an example. So my whole contact with the world is this screen at this point. Yeah. So, so what's, so how, how does that, uh, affect the whole life scale approach now? Yeah, and uh, guys, I'm gonna I, I got to jump right after this answer, so I apologize. Uh, yeah, sorry. Maybe... Yeah, yeah, I got lost track of time. It's been so much fun. Sorry about that. <laughs> we have to. Uh, we'll have to do this again because you know you're asking some really deep questions, and I actually been thinking more and more about this since you know post life scales. Kind of wish that the book came out now uh, because we're only we're only accelerating. Like for example, e-commerce and and uh, working from home and all of these new behaviors and opening up these new worlds to us. Uh, the same is true for the dangerous side of this is that we're accelerating uh, a lot of these challenges. For example, um, uh, you know, if you look at if you look at the cross generational adoption of TikTok, uh, you know, and you look up in terms of uh, Gen X uh, matures and boomers who are adopting the platform, you could you could actually watch in real time how they're becoming uh, addicted, rewired, uh, and and though they think, the, you know, the great illusion is that you're more connected, you're more informed, you're more involved. Uh, but it it has the back end, you know, things like rewiring both your brain, but also your body because of the chemicals that are happening as you're doing more and more of this. And so I think the problem, the problem is actually getting worse. And you can see it, right? I mean, just look at the adoption of QAnon conspiracies. Uh, and it becomes unfathomable, by the way, to me, but yeah. <laughs> It becomes really easy once you start to once you start to do this, then this, then this, then this. This makes sense. Uh, it's why it becomes a truth, uh, and why people are so passionate about their beliefs. Uh, and they're all it's all the same series of dominoes that get you there. Uh, the difference is, though, uh, what I learned is how you rewire that, or how you rewire yourself away from distractions, are different different steps, different programs, uh, but nothing's going to get you to a better place without some type of intervention and some type of help and some type, you know, some type of belief that you could actually be in a better place. Uh, so this is what makes it so difficult. And I'm watching this happen every single day. Every time I discover new behaviors because of now being digital first, like you said, being in this office or here, you know, this is my, this is my world. Uh, I know that there are other things that are also accelerating, and uh, you know, I just wish I just I just wish I could go on this big promotional tour with LifeScale sometimes to just kind of get get the word out. But I think if anything, I can be thankful for the fact that Netflix produced the social dilemma because I think that that did open up a lot of eyes to the problem. I think they need a part two uh, to kind of get into the information wars, uh, and and also lastly. I, th I think there has to be some accountability, honestly, Scott, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of these places where, where people are intentionally misleading others, uh, like, the like the pandemic, for example, that was created 
<laughs> I hope people don't believe that with the, the creators. And if they do, right, that is created and given a platform with zero checks and balances where someone else can watch it. And it is believable, right? It Especially starts, if you're... It becomes propaganda, literally. It's Yes, uh... it's believable. So I think the accountability has to go to the platforms. And the platforms have to be pressured by the advertisers to say, look, I don't want... I don't want to support this type of content with my brand and I want user safety. I want consumer safety and I want leadership truth. to say, I want, truth. I, yeah. I want truth, right? Stop monetizing. Unfortunately it comes down to profits that as it, it, was, it was said in the net, the Netflix documentary is that this information is six times more viral than the truth. And so when it becomes more viral, it's also more profitable. Mm. Uh, and so uh, until there's I think pressure that's why, there. That's why you have all that uh, clickbait at the bottom of very, you know, uh, nationally recognized news agencies, right? When you go to their websites, you know, you get down to the bottom. It's like, what is all this? Yeah. If you look at, uh, I forgot his name, sorry, but uh, from Newsmax, uh, you know, the, the head of Newsmax, he said in an interview that there is no motivation to promote essentially to stop promoting what they're promoting i'll just kind of leave it there because he says people love it people mm -hmm. it's it's engaging people share it it's the advertisers love it uh and so we have to sort of break that model to say ah we're, we're actually destroyed ourselves by that way uh, and it's not scalable in any way in any positive way this is it's all it's it's uh it's not uh let's just say it this way uh we're going to need more than life scale to do something about it uh brian if we if we, we if we can help you promote and go on that world tour and have people <laughs> find your uh book uh how can we do that well i think what i what i did uh as i was moving into because uh, now i'm 100 percent focused on innovation and uh i did uh, i have to actually see how it's going i put I put it in the hands of some friends. If you go to lifescaling.me, uh, it is, uh, we created an education program for coaches so that they could take the life scale methodology and then become the teachers of the program. Uh, so I was essentially, uh, instead of me becoming the Tony Robbins of life scale, <laughs> uh, I, I gave it, I'm giving it to people. Fantastic. I'm giving, giving them the, the, the infrastructure to then go and help others life scale. Yeah. Perfect. All right. We want to be uh, mindful of your time. Uh, there is so much more uh, uh, that we didn't get to on my, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> list of questions. So hopefully we'll get a chance uh, uh, to rebook you down the road and, and continue uh, the very interesting conversation uh, 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 with you, Brian. We really appreciate you coming and uh, uh, taking some time out of your busy day to, to spend with us. Oh, Scott, it's my pleasure. It's always good to see you. It's always good to talk to you. And Carlos, it's a pleasure to meet you.